Welcome to the Conscious Leadership Club podcast, where we explore the intersection between Buddhist psychology, modern science and leadership. My name is Tim and this is the topic I'm currently studying at the University of Oxford and I'm excited to share my learnings with you. Hello and welcome. In this episode, we'll focus on why having a psychological understanding holds the potential to change our lives and the role of Buddhist and modern psychology in this process. We'll explore the intriguing idea that the quality of our minds determines the quality of our lives, how our minds can be mapped using different maps, including the Buddhist map and that of modern science, and how these two perspectives complement and support each other. So let's start with the first question. Why is it valuable to have psychological understanding? So according to the dictionary, psychology um, stems from the ancient Greek word psyche, which means soul, and logios, which means science. So it's an empirical science aimed at describing and explaining human experience and behavior. So gaining insights into psychological processes equips us with tools to deepen our self-awareness, foster healthier relationships and communicate more effectively. While this may sound straightforward, its implications are profound. To make this more tangible, I invite you to a little experiment. So if possible, uh, close your eyes for a moment if your situation allows for that. Maybe not so good idea if you're driving with the car or uh, you're on the bike or something. And imagine you're walking down a street. So take a moment and observe what's happening in your body. Connect with your breath and take a deep breath in and out. Feel free to do this one more time. And now imagine that you're walking down a street and suddenly see someone you know on the opposite side. You smile and wave at this person, but they just walk past you. What physical sensations can you perceive? What do you feel? What thoughts or images are present? And what would you like to do? I'm curious to hear what did you notice, if anything at all. Maybe you thought the person was busy and you'll see each other soon again. Or maybe you were a bit disappointed that the person didn't see you and you wondered if something happened between you and him in the past or her. And maybe pondering what that might have been. And whatever your answer or your experience may be, it's likely to be wrapped up in some sort of story. And what's interesting is that despite the seemingly same situation, individual experiences differ. Let's take an example from work. One of your colleagues gives a great client presentation. One team member is thrilled and inspired by it, 
while another might feel intimidated. The reason for this can be many, like maybe the critical feedback meeting from last week or the blackout during the last presentation. Same situation, different experience. And the different perception of our experience in this exercise is not the actual point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that our experience is absolutely dynamic, constantly unfolding and changing. And it's partly determined by our assessment and judgment, as well as by our past experience and current emotional state. There are many different influencing factors that shape individual experience. And it's very likely that we react differently to the customer presentation today than we will in maybe one month or one year. And what can we conclude from this? We can conclude from this that our minds are the architects and products of our reality and therefore the foundation upon which our experiences are constructed. And if our mind is the foundation of how we perceive and act in our world, then the exciting question arises. How can we gain a better understanding and use this to our advantage? Fascinating studies have explored what happens when people are left in the wilderness with the task of finding their way out. And it was found that people without a map and a reference point tend to walk in circles and end up at the same place where they started. And the maxim in psychology is there is nothing more practical than a good theory. This probably doesn't only uh, count in psychology, but psychological theories are like maps. They help us map the territory of the mind to understand and navigate it. And instead of the word map, we could also use the term framework. Modern psychology has contributed much to creating detailed maps for certain areas of the mind, for example, attention, perception. And this has enabled us to make important progress in understanding both mental illness, like depression, anxiety, as well as mental well-being, satisfaction, motivation, resilience. And what are the mechanisms what influence them? So we use maps in a pragmatic way for orientation and to get from A to B. And the same principle applies to our mind. We map it to better understand our experiences and actions and ideally to change our behaviors for the better. And a Chinese proverb encapsulates this concept very beautifully. And it goes like this. Pay attention to your thoughts, for they will become words. Pay attention to your words, for they will become actions. Pay attention to your actions, for they will become habits. Pay attention to your habits, for they will become your character. Pay attention to your character, for it will become your fate. And especially when we're faced with tough situations, having a good map can be a game changer. It's like having a guide to understanding how we ended up where we are and figuring out how to move past it. Let's do a quick recap of what we've chatted about so far. So first of all, think of your mind as the foundation of the world we experience. Our perception is shaped by a whole bunch of things, our past experiences, expectations, our current emotions, thoughts and so on. And this process isn't static. It's always changing, always evolving. 
And we use mental maps to help us understand and navigate our minds, which can really help us to tweak our behaviors for the better. And this brings us to an interesting question. Where do these mental maps come from? And that's where Buddhist and modern psychology come into play. In the last episode, we touched upon the Buddha's teaching and the Four Noble Truths. And today, let's dive a bit deeper into Buddhist psychology and the story of the Buddha himself. This guy called Siddhartha Gautama was way ahead of his time and really a real pioneer in understanding the mind. One could also say he was the first psychologist that ever existed. And picture this, Siddhartha, a young boy born into a royal family, was all wrapped up in his dad's overprotection, who was trying to keep him away from life's harsher sides and realities. But in his 20s, Siddhartha feels the urge to see what's beyond this cushy life. And boy, does he get a reality check. He sees sickness, old age, and even death up close. And every time he sees these harsh realities, he asks, is this going to happen to me too? And the answer is always yes, it's part of life. And this hits Siddhartha hard. He realizes that all the comforts and love in the world can't shield him from the inevitable. So he sets out on his epic journey to find peace and understanding. And his last eye-opener is a calm and peaceful guy in a crowd, which totally inspires Siddhartha to start exploring within himself. He's basically seeking to understand the causes of suffering, its origins and the means of overcoming it. And that's what sets him on the path to becoming one of the first people to really study the mind. So let's pause for a second and think, is life about suffering? What do you think about that? In the previous episode, we talked about this whole concept of life and suffering or dissatisfaction, how I called it. And let's dig into that a bit more. Think about a time recently when you felt really frustrated or annoyed. Maybe it was your boss piling on too much work, a customer who just couldn't be pleased, or maybe you were beating yourself up for only getting through half of your to-do list. Suffering, you know, it comes in all shapes and sizes. Like in the Buddha stories, where he talks about the big stuff, getting old, falling sick, the ages and pains, both in the body and the mind, and eventually facing death. But it's not just the big things. It's the everyday stuff too. Like when you're itching to get something, maybe a new phone, a dream job, or even just a bit of love and recognition. And it just doesn't happen. Or when you're stuck with something you really don't like, but can't change. Like endless deadlines at work or some part of yourself you're not too fond of. That feeling of wanting things to be different right there. That's what we're talking about when we say suffering or stress. A better word for suffering is dissatisfaction or feelings like something's missing. And isn't it true that these stressors, these moments of doubt and dissatisfaction, they're what keep us from being our best selves and enjoying life fully? From being more resilient, more empathetic, better leaders, better people? It's like we're always chasing something more and that chase just complicates our lives unnecessarily. And this is exactly what a Buddha was getting at with his first noble truth. Life involves dissatisfactions or dukkha as they say in Pali. 
And his teachings really zoom in on these struggles and how we can free ourselves from them to really thrive. Luckily, it's not all doom and gloom. The Buddha didn't just leave us hanging with the bad news. There are three more noble truths he shared. And the second one says that our dissatisfaction is mostly because of our own desires and the resulting reactivity from this. The third gives us hope and says dissatisfaction can actually end. And the fourth is like a roadmap showing us how to free ourselves from these feelings of insufficiency or at least on how to handle them better. And it's more than just a definition. It's a practical guide to becoming more resilient. And we'll dive deeper into these four noble truths and these teachings in our upcoming episodes. Furthermore, we can think of the Buddha and his teaching as a kind of a doctor who, in a specific illness and situation, makes healing and well-being possible with appropriate care and attention. And you can imagine the effect of the four noble truths in the terms of yeah, medical treatment, so to say. And when you go to the doctor, which is the Buddha in this case, your symptoms, the dissatisfactions, um, are recorded and the underlying causes, the causes of suffering, the second noble truth, is identified. Then from the diagnosis, the treatment options and the prognosis, the end of suffering, which is the uh, third um, noble truth, emerge. And then finally, a therapy plan is created, which is uh, the fourth noble truth. Now, these Buddhist teachings, they're pretty much the bedrock of mindfulness practice today. They're like our guide to understanding and training our minds, helping us become more resilient and adapt better to changes. It's all about getting our minds in shape to handle life's ups and downs. All right, so that's, that's the Buddhist psychology part for you. But what about modern science? How does it fit into all of this? So science, especially psychology and neuroscience, is kind of like the new kid on the block compared to Buddhism. And this is because modern psychology is just a bit over 100 years old and neuroscience is, is, is even younger. But man, we have learned a ton in this time and we've got essential insights on how we see the world and how we make sense of things, what keeps our mental health ticking and what messes it up, like stress, depression, and you name it. And modern psychology hands us also these mental maps which help us to understand how our minds work. And guess what? When you put these modern maps next to the Buddha's ancient teachings, there's a lot of overlap. It's like seeing how old school insights get a thumbs up from today's science. And sometimes Buddha's ideas even point us to stuff that modern psychology hasn't fully explored or caught onto yet. And over the last 20 years, science has started to back up a lot of what Buddhism been saying for over two and a half millennia. And the stuff the Buddha taught about how to transform our minds and lives is still super relevant, maybe even more than ever. And it totally makes sense, right? I mean, the human mind and body haven't really changed much over thousands of years. We're still dealing with the same core issues. Growing up, dealing with health, chasing after recognition and relationships, death, all that jazz. So look at the studies these days from places like Gallup, which measures employee satisfaction and engagement, or mental health orgs like the World Health Organization, who are saying that 
or that are saying that stress and mental health issues are on the rise. It's like we're in the middle of a mental health crisis. Now, we don't have a one-size-fits-all model of the mind yet. And honestly, I don't think we'll get one anytime soon. But it's clear as day that our mental and physical systems are super complex, interrelated and play a huge role in how we experience life, how we lead and how we feel. And this is where modern psychology and Buddhist psychology really complement each other. You've got the modern take, which is all about understanding the mind cognitively uh, from the top down. And then mindfulness approach, which comes from the bottom up, more hands-on, experiential and embodied, so to say. And in this podcast, we're going to look at the intersection of Buddhist wisdom and modern science, especially when it comes to self-leadership. We'll see how they can work together to give us a fuller picture of the mind. Through mindfulness and other practices, we're going to explore how to use this knowledge to tackle complex challenges and adapt to change. And this is more important than ever, as our business and work environments are undergoing radical change. This presents leaders and the companies with ever new challenges. They must recognize trends, filter out decision-relevant information from a wealth of data, and they must develop new strategies in addition to managing day-to-day -day business and motivate their teams for new goals. They're responsible for ensuring successful collaboration and functioning organizations. In other words, leaders should be able to regulate their own inner climate, because only then do they have the necessary adaptability and competence to master complex external situations. So cultivating more mindfulness helps us to do just that and thus forms the foundation of any change. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with me and catch you in the next episode. Until then, keep on rocking and stay tuned. Bye.